You're listening to Drawing the Line. I'm Roman McCutcheon. And I'm Brad Reeves. And today we're wrapping up our discussion on critical race theory. Part two, we've got a lot more to say. Sounds good. Let's get started. All right, guys, it's season three, episode two, and we've already had like two three, outtakes. Two false starts. It's terrible. I was, the one you missed it, I was humming the new theme song. Yeah. You know, I have gotten mixed reviews on okay. the new music. All right. So I don't know how it's going to go. If you hear it, if you hear the new music, that means I decided to go with it. If you didn't. Yeah. Please got, don't mark us down just because of the yeah. intro and outro music. I got self, I, I just, I don't know. I It felt like we got a new season. It was time to do something a little bit different. Um, but some people are like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> um, some people said they really liked it. So I don't know. I'm not oh, you really can't sure. please You can't please everybody. I can't. You're right. It's impossible. Um, but uh, we're here to finish up our topic, uh, critical race theory, CRT. And We're going to say everything that can possibly be said about it and finish that in just one more episode. That's it's it. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> Sum no. it all up and put a bow on it. You know, I... I was having a conversation today and realizing that as a middle-class white guy, me trying to have a conversation about this, though I do think, you know, voices in every aspect of this conversation are necessary is, is interesting. Well, I think that's why I, I had said last time too, that this is almost a case study in just how do you react to things that are going on, things that are in the air. And that's why I thought it would be useful to talk about, even though, no, of course, we're not going to be the definitive voices um, on this subject. But you certainly have other, um, to use your phrase, middle-class white people, um, you know, going in, you know, whether they're in school board, in school boards or on school boards, or whether they're parents that are coming in, you know, to uh, let their voices be heard about this topic. So we just figured we'd weigh in on it. And I thought we had a good start to that last week. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, as you guys know, absolutely, man, I say that so much. Um, But so Brett and I text about, you know, what, what sort of what we're going to talk about for the most part, it's pretty candid. Like we don't have like a script. Um, we both do our individual research and then we just come to the table and we talk. Um, I don't know everything that Brad's going to talk about. Brad doesn't know everything I'm going to talk about. And, and as a matter of fact, there more often than not, I have no idea what Brad's going to yes. say. Um, <laughs> and vice versa. <laughs> right. And Brad has no idea what I'm going to say, but I think that's, that's also why I like the way that this kind of works because it's, it is genuinely just a conversation. Um, right. Like if I was to have a conversation with anyone listening, I don't know what you're going to say. I don't necessarily know all of your thoughts, but sometimes, I mean, you know, Brad and I talk we, or, or we at least text. And a lot of the times I leave Brad on red um, and because I'm not the greatest responder. Um, a lot of you guys know that that are listening. It's um, because he receives hundreds and hundreds of texts <laughs> a day. <laughs> no. I'll just weigh down the food chain. Right. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> But I will say Brad um, did mention something to me today that I thought was interesting and that I, that I actually like, I kind of, hopefully we're, we're going to talk about some yeah, more. Yeah. Um, so you said, um, I don't believe in theology that makes people feel ashamed of themselves. Yeah. And so 
can you just explain that some more? Because yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for all of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what I was saying, I think, well, how it started and how it relates to critical race theory is that there, one of the criticisms of critical race theory is that, um, oh, well, the, the purpose of it is just to make white people feel shame. Right. It, it's just right out of the gates. It's like, oh, you were born and you were born with this skin color. And so you should be ashamed of that because of things done by by your ancestors or things that you're doing subconsciously or systems you're a part of. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a criticism. And I think that maybe just pulling back from that criticism a little bit, I think more generally we would hopefully agree, we would agree and maybe hopefully the listeners would agree too that if you sort of base uh, guilt and shame off uh, you know, or, or from somebody's race or ethnic heritage, that's not a good thing. Right. That's not a good way to start with somebody. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're on the same page there. But but what I think what I was doing in my text to you is I was saying, you know, I even to me that that sort of is um, is connected to my theology too, or the way that I I view God mm -hmm. and the way that I view. Uh, certain religious systems. So if what's the purpose of the religious system? Um, what's the purpose of like certain evangelism techniques? We've talked about those before. Yeah. If, if the way the evangelism technique is set up is that when you meet someone, your job is to convince them that they should feel shame and guilt where they don't, like that, that that's sort of the job of religion is to put all that on them yeah. and then sort of then give them, oh, but I'm going to rescue from all that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to rescue from all that. So in other words, it's like, well, you didn't know you needed this, but let me make you feel horrible about yourself so that you will now know that you need this thing that you didn't know that you needed. Right. That structure makes me uncomfortable. That okay. theology makes me uncomfortable. Sure, but you know, go ahead and, and react to that. That's right. <laughs> no, I you know I'm I I think at the I I don't completely disagree with you. I there are things about that that I'm like, but I don't know if that's me. I, yeah. I, I'm not. I don't want to. All right, this is Roman's opinion time. I just you no, know, it's okay. I mean, we're both sort um, of shooting opinions here, right? And so. You know, I, I've used the, you know, coach analogy before of, you know, maybe, you know, calling you out on you're doing this wrong, do it better. Right. Um, but it's for the, the purpose of the team. And it's also so that you as a player can be better. Right. Um, and I still I still enjoy that. I'm that's I, I love that style of coaching in general. Right. Right. Yeah. We've um, talked about that. Right. And but I I also, you know, I'm, I I think about you know, taking that into a more, let's, let's bring the Bible into it and, and look at the beginning. Cause why not talk about Genesis? Sure. Because we sure. always do. And I, and I think about, um, Adam and Eve and they were ashamed when they saw themselves naked and God was like, why, why do you feel ashamed? Well, shame doesn't enter the world until their sin. Right. Right. And so I grew up with the, the thought process and the belief and, and some of that has changed. Um, but with the thought that, that that's part of the fall, that sure, absolutely guilt and shame is sort of, it, it's, it's part of what came in in Genesis chapter three. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and so, you know, I would, you know, it was kind of instilled in me that, you know, 
for the most part, and I'm not saying this yeah, is for every yeah. situation, for the most part, people do not feel feel guilty unless they have something to feel guilty about. Right. And 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 so though Oh yeah, I've heard you say that phrase when we were talking about sermons before, yes. when I said something about, hey, you know, if the sermon just makes everybody feel like crap, right. Like is you know, is that really, is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? And you were like, well, you know, if you, if you feel guilty, there's a, there's a reason right. why. And so I, and I, and I say that because, um, I think as a, as a minister, I mean, and, and for the most part, everybody's called in the ministry. Right. Um, so whoever you're, no, but this is to, your, your job title. I right. Get it. So this, yeah. But the idea here is to bring, to give people conviction is to spur one another on. Um, right. And, and sometimes, and, and, but I, and I'm not saying that this is, this is not, this should not be a majority. I, mm-hmm. I, by no means do I think that your go-to tactic should be to guilt someone into something. Right. But sometimes calling people out can convict them. Yeah, and it's interesting that so I I almost I love actually having this parallel conversation talking about this and racism and critical race theory at the same time. Yeah. Because that's where we ended last time. Like remember you had made the statement that hey, you know, one of the things if you're in a group of people and you see something that's racist yeah. and and you don't do anything about it or or you just kind of sit sit by and and let that be, especially yeah. in a group of Christians. Um, that's that's problematic. So I yeah. think that's what you're talking about. There's certain times where, you know, where where there's a, a conviction and where there's um, you know the need to to stand up, you know, stand up for for people who aren't even there. Yeah, right? absolutely. So, but going back, um, you know, g- going back to the point that you're that you're making there, I definitely feel like there are things we do in our lives that we feel guilt about and that we feel shame for mm-hmm. the things that we do. And that's one thing. I mean, that I think that happens. We we talked about teshuva and repentance, right? That you yeah. you know that you've you've turned away from the path, and right. there are times that you have that realization, and it it brings you back. Yeah, that conviction, that guilt, that there's something. But there's to me something somewhat different about someone else who feels like it's their job to sort of add to that guilt. So I know that there are there are scriptures that you can quote like spurring one another on to good works. There, there's scriptures that we can find yeah. that sort of run in that direction. But if you look at Jesus and you look at how Jesus really seemed to spend most of his time with the people who were the quote unquote quote sinners, like they were the right. people who had the most things to be guilty, to feel guilty for or feel shame about. Right. He did not seem to be in the business of heaping more guilt and shame on them. Absolutely. He a- he actually seemed to be doing the opposite. Yeah. Like you when you see the way he interacts with them where you know you have the Pharisees and and, and the leaders and they're like hey, you know, if he knew who if he knew who was pouring that that oil on his right. that perfume on his feet, you know, he would not, yeah. you know what I mean? Like they they were just like, "Oh, you know, well that that's a guilty per if he really knew mm-hmm. how sinful that person was." Right. So I also think there's this just, and then I'll get off my soapbox no, on, no, on, pre- on preaching is that, you know, I think perhaps one of the easiest sermons to preach is when you just get up and say, we all just need to do more. Yeah. I mean, isn't it right? Because it's you fair. can always preach that sermon. Oh yeah. Always. You can always preach the sermon that we're not doing enough. 
you know, we could be doing more. And, and to go back to my, my favorites, you could be reading the Bible more. Sure. You could be praying more. Yeah. You could be doing more good things. You could be giving more. You could be, you know, your contribution could be more. Yeah. You could be spending more time. Like there are, no, there's no end to that to those sermons. And yet when I see the life of Jesus, I see him living a very balanced life where there are times when people want him to do more. And he's like, uh, no, I'm going to break out. I'm going to the mountains, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah, heading yeah. off. I'm spending some time alone with God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to go over here and have some fish. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like there, there seems to be more of a balance in yeah. him, not just beating on people. It's not that he didn't aspire for more for the uh, for the disciples around him, but I feel like he wasn't always he he wasn't always heaping guilt and shame on. Oh them. yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that a great example of that balance is the woman at the well. Because I think that he was there to give her understanding. Not letting her off the hook for, you know, her having five husbands and the man that she's living with is not her husband. He didn't let her off the hook for that. He wasn't like, mm, that's fine. He didn't say that. He called her out on it, but that wasn't the main thing he was talking about. I think if anything else, that was a that was him saying, no, I know you. I know who you are and I know what you need and what you need is living water. And so I think that that is, that was such a key part of, of, of Jesus. I'm, I'm currently... I'm rewatching The Chosen. I'm watching it with Lauren, my wife, who's watching it for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, in the first season, he sees the woman at the well. I think that's the first season. Yeah. And he has this conversation with her. And, and, I, and I love the scene that's set up there because you can, before he meets her at the well, you get a, her backstory or whatever. Not that right. we, we know all of it, but we know some of it, right? And she already has this guilt. She would have been an outcast. People would not have really hung out with her. Right. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm here for you specifically. And he was so good at um, understanding his audience knowing his audience and we can do that if we are intentional about relationship building if we are intentional about you know having an understanding of the other person that we're talking to or the people that we're talking to Uh, and i think that that is one of the big disconnects when it comes to crt when it comes to you know critical race theory race in general is that I have an understanding of myself and my situation. Have I taken time to understand someone else? Right. And, and you know, that may or may not have been a little bit easier for Jesus because, you know, God. <laughs> right. Um, but I think that God gives us what we need in those moments. And he gives you the opportunity to learn, to listen, to... Um, you know, be to be empathetic, to be compassionate. Um, you know, to consider somebody's, to consider their their situation, their yeah. upbringing, their life experience. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, our our theme for the end of the year for the youth group is we're still under the idea of harvest, mm-hmm. um, but our theme is be kind, and it comes from Ephesians four, where he's be you know be kind, compassionate, and forgiving. Right. Right. And that idea is. So important, I think, for, excuse me, the idea of CRT, because 
um, you know, we talked about the idea of, of shame, uh, and you were, you were saying things that people didn't have control over. And there's absolutely no reason for me to shame you about anything that you don't have control over because you can't do anything about it. Right. Right. Um, and so, um, instead, and so, you know, one of the things that people are going to struggle with is that I'm going to ask you to do something that is Christ-like that may not have happened to you yet. I'm going to ask you to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving, which is a Christ-like feature, which are Christ-like traits. And you may not have received that from people, but that's what God is asking from you. Yeah, so I, I think I hear what you're saying, and I think that as individuals, we are absolutely called to live that way. Absolutely. We, we're taught, we are called to live that way. We're, we're called to, to love our enemies. Yeah. So like when somebody is actively your enemy, uh, sort of on a on an individual basis, we are called to love them back, and you know what that looks like um, may be different. It may yeah. look like turning the other cheek, and in, in a situation, it may look I don't know. It, it just may look differently, uh, different uh, depending on the different situation. But I think one of the things we, as we talked about last time, because what critical race theory does is it tries to really look more, um, well, somewhat less at individual. Yeah. Racism and more on structural and institutionalized racism th- through different through throughout society. Right. You know, starting kind of within the legal system and then spreading out from there. And then there there's an activism component to it too, which is, you know, maybe changing some of the structures of society right. to to remedy, um, you know, things uh, to remedy disparities. So here's the thing: is that we can act like that individually. Right. We can act like that individually. But what happens when there is a structure that exists? What happens if there's a structure that exists and you have these disparate outcomes and and on an individual basis, um, you know, you you may be forgiving whether somebody has the same race as you or a different race or background or religion or whatever. You could be doing all that. But yet if there are structures in place that that disparately impact people you know, that, that line up relative to their, not, not only their skin color, but their, their economic, socioeconomic status. I I think of an example real quick that popped into my head when I used to work in the Virginia state legislature, you know, they were always trying to raise these revenues and um, you know, you had sort of the conservatives that never wanted uh, taxes being raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you had the more sort of progressives that were, that wanted the taxes to be raised, but they wanted them to be raised on people who to at least, uh, for them could more afford it. Right. So a more progressive tax. But what would happen is a lot of times you would, cause it's Virginia and, and at least 20 years ago, it was a relatively conservative state. Mm-hmm. You'd be able to pass these so-called sin taxes. So they would, they would ramp up the taxes. They needed the revenue. They had to get it from somewhere. Right. So they ramp up the taxes on like alcohol and uh, cigarettes. And then, you know, they would use the lot, they would lean on lottery funding. Well, the impact that had was not progressive. It was regressive because for the most part, the people who are smoking, you know, going in and buying cigarettes, 
you know, they're not going to be the people with, they're not going to be the white collar people with, right. with PhDs and terminal degrees. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so instead their tax rates go up 30%. So really what you're doing is you're taxing the people who can least afford it. Yeah. But it was more uh, sort of politically tenable to do that. So mm -hmm. the, the reason I bring up that example is that there can be times when we see there are structures and the structures themselves are treating people differently yeah. based on their socioeconomic status, based on their race. And my, my take is that Christians should be moving towards there being less of that right. than more of that. Less of that meaning that people should not be treated uh, people should not be treated differently or people, you, you want people to have more opportunity. Yeah, you absolutely. want people to have greater opportunity. Uh, so, you know, the, I'm going to sort of be repeating what I said last week, but to me, this helps open a conversation. Although I will, I will completely admit that there are some um, under, under this umbrella, there are some ideologies and, I, and believe me, I've been listening to people on sort of all sides of this talk about it. Yeah. There are some directions, I think, where uh, this goes that may not be helpful. It may not even be, since this is a podcast where we're talking about Christianity, may not, to me, sort of strikes inconsistent with some of the uh, you know, some of the concepts we've been talking about, some of the Christian concepts we've been talking about. Yeah, you know, I so um, interestingly enough, my wife works at a Title I school. Um, if you're not exactly sure what a title one school is, it is essentially, there is a percentage, a high percentage of students whose family makes a very small amount of income meets this income requirement that is below whatever the like normal poverty level, po right. Poverty yep. level right. Yep. And so they essentially receive like, you know, free lunches and there's free, there's like extra free care and they receive different things, right? The school gets more money because they are title one. That doesn't necessarily mean that they try to maintain their title one status. Right. But sometimes schools do, which is really unfortunate. Right. But right. she works at a title one school. Um, and so they're doing, they're doing this training right now. And I learned um, we were just kind of talking about it and, and I found out some things that shocked me, not, and, and I don't even, and, and it's shocked, not necessarily in a, in a bad or good, but more of just like, I didn't, wouldn't have even considered that. So, um, and, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Brad, on, on some of these things, because I think that, um, th this kind of stuff has, has an impact culturally, um, on, on all sides, because right. I will say the, the school is, um, primarily black. Um, I don't know the exact percentage. I just know that if you are not black, you are the minority at this right. middle school. And so she found out today that, so the school doesn't have a, it's not a weighted grading scale. So essentially what that means is, you know, you know how like tests might be 30% and your daily work is 20% of your grade and all that kind of stuff. That's not how it works. It is a total points system. So everything essentially just Everything is worth points, and you're just trying to get to a certain amount of points to get a certain grade. Right. So because of that, you're not allowed to give a kid a zero because a zero is detrimental. If you, you, know, you get zeros on certain things, you, there's no recovery because you have to get so many points, and there's only so many grades you can put in, right? Right. Um, and so at first I was like, that's odd, but I can see how that could be helpful because if you can give the expectation from the beginning, they know what they have to look forward to. They know the opportunities that they're given, so they know – you know, how to strive to receive what they need, which is fantastic. I actually kind of like that idea. Had a professor in college that was awesome that did, that did it that way. 
And then she told me something that I wasn't a fan of, and I don't know if this is just a me thing, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Um, A child is able to retake a test regardless of the grade that they receive because of equity, right? Um, They have to be equitable in the classroom. So if a kid makes a 50, they have, like the kid has to be able to retake that test, not an option. I struggle so much with that idea. Yeah. Because I am I am such a firm believer in learning and growing from failure and understanding that within those moments you can become better by not repeating what yeah. you did. Now to give kids and I don't know how many times they get to retake it, but I I think it's it's potentially two or three. Right. Um but to me I struggle with that. And, and I struggle on both sides because it's like, man, there's no, there, to me, there's not really a learning moment there for them. It is a, what kind of, what, what kind of precedent are we showing for them once they leave school? Because even at my job as a minister, right. if I failed three times, every time, you right. know, on, on every job or any kind of activity that I had, I would eventually be fired. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I can understand your discomfort with that. I'm going to address that specific situation and then I'm going to tie the sort of this concept of equity back into CRT Yeah. Um, because it's, it's very similar. Um, I'm thinking, and I'm not, you know, I'm not an educator. My wife actually, you know, has a master's degree in early childhood education and taught in Title One schools for a couple of years. Yeah, and so I'm sort of familiar with the with the landscape there. But so I I don't know all the pedagogical reasons why they would do that. Yeah. I'm assuming that particularly within that Title One context, that one of the thoughts is that these kids, in many circumstances, do not uh, have the preparation. Um, like they like their counterparts might have in 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 other schools sure. that have different resource that are that are resourced differently. Okay, mm-hmm. so that in other words, who knows what might have happened? I mean, I know it at my wife's old school. There were a certain number of kids that were homeless. Yeah, and yeah. going to the school. So, like for the homeless kid who shows up versus the kid who who gets three meals a day right. and sleeps at night on a bed and comes in. I mean, those t- two kids, if, if one of them, if the one who didn't sleep last night and is homeless gets a 50 and the other one gets a 90, I, I mean, I guess maybe what they're trying to do to promote equity, and that'll tie me back to this concept, right. is that you know we, we can't make a judgment in this context that these kids were on an equal playing field. So we're just going to let this kid do, you know, try, try it again. And if they do better, then maybe it's because they were in a little bit better situation, but I can tell you, so that concept, I understand that that at the sort of micro level makes you uncomfortable, but this, this larger concept of equity is what is making, you know, to just say it bluntly is what's making a lot of white folks feel uncomfortable about, um, about critical race theory, because the, Equity, what that means under CRT, um, is much more about outcomes than it is about process. Right. So the argument you're making right now is like, hey, wait a second, um, everybody should have the same process. Mm-hmm. Like th- this person shouldn't be able to take it, you know, ten times while this person just only takes it once. Or you say like, hey, in in my life, in my job, if I if I have to preach 
um, this you, you preaching two are you preaching two Sundays from now? Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. So if you go up there and you just bomb, right. And you just totally bomb and people are like walking out. Yeah. It's so bad. Okay. All your jokes just fall flat. <laughs> Nobody, it, nobody's picking up what you're putting Knock down on wood, please. Let's you're start. not, you're not going to be able to be like, look, I need a mulligan. Let's do this thing. Exactly. Everybody come back tonight Yeah, it's not a thing. and let's just do it again. Yeah. So your job doesn't work that way. So it's like, why would we teach the kids this? But I think, um, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, that that probably doesn't work. Right. I mean, at a certain point, where where that you know, if that's happening in middle school, I don't I don't know. Is that too late to do it? Should it happen earlier or yeah. later? I I mean, I get where you're coming from, but I do know that this concept of equity, I think maybe what's at the heart of the of the discomfort with that with some with some folks um, is that. Well, hey, wait a second. Are people going to get things without working for it? Are people going to get things without working as hard as I had to work? Are they going to get second and third chances and I didn't get those chances? Right. And I mean, I think it's worth asking whether that's a a good reaction for us to have. I understand that that's a very human reaction to sure, have. Absolutely. But um uh you know, one of the one of the I guess tenants. We talked about some of the tenants of critical race theory. One of the tenants of critical race theory is that um, our system of white, and I'm, I'm quoting this, this is not in my head, our system of white over color ascendancy serves important purposes, both psychic and material. So one of the things, one of the, again, this part of the theory, one of the parts of the theory is that um, systematic racism actually serves it actually serves not only the people that are sort of at the top that are already the people at their top of society the decision makers the people in power the people with money but it actually also in a way serves the people at the bottom so that let's say at that title one school that you're talking about yeah so that um th this is the argument would go something like this that even the white people could say even let's say they have the exact same household income they're also at the poverty level they're right. also kids going to the title one school but they would say maybe to themselves maybe you know psychologically well but at least i'm not black right okay. it, 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 i'm just saying this is yeah, how yeah. this is the theory and right. and and you could see this borne out if you go back to the jim crow south that's sort of the concept that occurred uh, arguably occurred as well is you had all these wealthy landowners mm -hmm. who were oh, yeah. po post civil war and you had very poor white folks who were who kept putting the same people into power and really kind of voting against their own interests except for what was the thing that united them we have to make keep African-Americans being second-class citizens because what did it do? It made them feel slightly better, even though guess what? They were living in complete poverty too. Right. So I think that critical race theory, like many other critical theories, looks very closely at all of these different structures and outcomes and inputs. And it starts asking, um, you know, thoughtful questions. Yeah. Uh, and, but I, again, like I said, that, that doesn't mean that, Anything anybody labels as critical race theory that I, I even think that it's good. Yeah. It's just that, you know, I wanted to give some examples because I feel like that maybe some people who are listening to our podcast, they may not have had the exposure to sure. uh, some of, you know, some of these examples or theories. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I think that we, you, you get into topics like critical race theory and, and it becomes uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that that's a good thing. 
because we need to consistently be out of our comfort zones or you're not going to grow. You're just going to be able to just kind of stick around where you are and be comfortable. And that's just that very little growth comes from comfort. Well, even listening like in, in sort of my show prep, you know, both last time and this time, I, I went out, I wanted to see what are other people saying, people who I think I'm probably inclined to disagree with. Yeah. What are they saying about yeah. critical race theory? And I really try to stretch myself to be accepting and open to understanding where they're coming from. Yeah. It doesn't mean to accept everything that you hear, right. but I think a lot of times, unfortunately, uh, Christians have have this reputation, and I think it's probably deserved, uh, of being closed-minded, yeah, right? Of not, of not being willing yeah. to listen to other people. Yeah. Well, we, we create that idea because we're so, we're so bound to this, like if we're not strong in our faith, then we're we're just weak overall. Like we don't really love God sometimes, or that we're and so. Or we, and, how, and how about this too, Roman? How about and if we're wrong about one thing that like we're wrong about everything? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we've got if, if somebody kind of pushes us on one point, like I think we we just got to be willing to maybe lay down on some yeah. issues sometimes, and it it doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like like our faith is set up like this like this matrix to where if there's one piece of it that doesn't work, or at least in our heads, if there's one piece of it that doesn't work, then all of a sudden it all falls apart. It doesn't work that way. That's not how faith is. And I think if we could look at faith perhaps a little bit differently, then we wouldn't have to be so defensive. And then maybe we wouldn't earn this closed-minded label um, quite so easily. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I mean, it's unfortunately for some people, they don't want to hear this is that it's going to take work. It's going to take, you know, it's going to take, and here we go, doing more, um, which I, 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 I agree with that sermon can be taught and said literally every time. I, I agree with that, and then it also is overplayed by a hundred times over. And so I... But isn't the doing more sometimes an introspective thing? It's not just... I guess my point with that is some of these measurable things oh, like yeah, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like, okay, what did you read? You know, how many chapters did you read this morning? And, you know, you're, yeah. you're not doing as much as you used to and like those kind of things. But I think when you say doing more, you're talking about doing like personal work. Yeah, absolutely. Like personal evaluation and being honest. And like I said, challenge, like what I did when I was prepping, like challenging yourself by listening to others and really kind of allowing that to work on you Yeah. and, and maybe accepting some, maybe rejecting some, but not just listening to the same sources or the same voices. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I ask the question why to my kids a lot in youth group, or I ask them, or I'll say, prove it, or I'll say, you know, that's a bold statement you know, you got to give me more than just that statement. And so, um, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of did the same thing, except it was, I mean, I listened to a wide array of opinions, right. Uh, on CRT and, yeah. and, and I would, I would give my initial reaction. I'd literally talk to myself out loud, which I'm sorry if you walk by my office, you heard, you probably think I'm an insane person, 
but I would react like in like initially. Yeah. And then I would come back and I would say, okay, why did I react that way? Yeah. Why is that? Why did I think like that? Why, yeah. why was I upset? Why did I agree? You know? And, and, and then I would, I mean, literally had this dialogue and I wrote some stuff down, but like it was, it was so, I don't, I mean, I would use the word healthy because yeah. it gives me perspective on myself, but also maybe how other people see me too. Yeah. And, you know, as, as a Christian, we have to be cognizant of that because we have to be about other people. Like it's, it's our, 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 our existence. And this is maybe just my opinion. Our existence is to serve other people. Right. We, that has to be our first instinct yeah. or, or at least, I mean, obviously we have to care for ourselves. We right. have to be healthy um, because if we're not, if we're not healthy and, and we're not in good, you know, if we're not mentally healthy, if we're not physically healthy, how are we going to help other people? Right. Sure. We have to do that. But yes, that, that we need to sort of flip things around to where we are considering the other, right? Yeah. That's, a, that's the, the second most important commandment. You know, I was thinking about this story and it, it, it sort of, I guess re- this Bible story sort of relates to me um, to at least some of the things we've been talking about with, with critical race theory. And that is the story of Jonah. Mm. And I was, I was thinking about this because I, I thought about how, you know, Jonah, when Jonah, the, when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and he's told to go to Nineveh, to the city of Nineveh, and preach. Yeah. You know, Nineveh was in the Babylonian Empire, and I think a lot of times we just, re- you know, we think about the whale, and there's the these different parts of the story, and the people repenting, and all that. But we don't consider sort of the way that story would have landed on on the people's ears of that time. I mean, the, the Babylonian people, and, and Nineveh was right at the the capital, the heart of the Babylonian Empire. Those people, they were so ruthless that when they would when they would conquer people around them, they would like fillet their skin off. You know, they they would make piles of body parts. They would do stuff. And when you read the history about how awful these people were, they did the most awful things. Like it's like Game of Thrones yeah. squared, yeah. right? That that's right. the kind of stuff that that they were doing. And yet God comes to Jonah. And so what happens with Jonah? Jonah has an initial reaction. Right, yeah. And his initial reaction, rather than God saying, hey, go preach to these people, is Jonah goes the opposite direction. Yeah. And so I think it... it uh, my, here's my point, is that Jonah was very well aware of these people yeah. and their history and who they were. And... But this story, even though it's sort of tucked away in an Old Testament that's very tribal and is always about sort of self-preservation and preserving the tribe and preserving the Jewish people, you have this really interesting story where you see, and it's a thread that runs, I believe, throughout all of Scripture, but it's this very interesting story where you see, wait a second, the divine is not, um, the divine doesn't just look at tribe. Yeah. The divine looks deeper than that, yeah. you know. So the people that are have been labeled that labels don't work is my, is my point. Right, is that labeling, which you know is is actually one of the tenets of CRT, is that race is constructed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that labels that cause you to prejudge people do not work very well 
within the divine. Now, yeah. the, now, do we use them? Does society use? Yes. Do institutions use them? Yes. Do structures use them? Yes. Are the reason why it, it just makes things easier? It makes things work. It, it helps us make stereotypes. Help us make snap judgments. Yeah. Makes us be makes us be more efficient. But when it comes to relationships and loving people, stereotypes don't work. Right. Right. And labeling doesn't work because this is a human being. Yeah. This is not an efficiency project. It's not about how many people we can move through a system. Or, yeah. I mean, people are more than more than numbers. So I, I was th- I thought about that story of Jonah, and, and how you know it sort of gives us a glimpse into how God maybe doesn't see the same distinctions between yeah. people that we do. Well, absolutely. I I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I think that that's. I mean, the idea of love your enemies. The idea of love your neighbor who's well who's my neighbor well you know everybody's everybody everyone and and so um and everyone includes every race every ethnicity i mean you know so like that part doesn't matter so i i think that that is i mean that's crucial and on an individual level on an individual abs- level on an individual level absolutely for sure and yeah. so when we start talking about like structures and institutions i think you know Christians hopefully want to be thoughtful people, understanding that this is complex and it's a nuanced topic. Yeah. But hopefully, we want to do that those same things institutionally yeah. to the extent we're in the power to do. We have the power to do so. Um, you know, you're within a church. You're in the ministry and leadership of the church. You you have uh, people that that look up to you. You have people um, you know that you teach and work with. So you have the ability to influence Roman, right? You know, I, I have a job where I have people who work with me. I, I have the ability to influence yeah. people. So we need to use our influence in positive ways on a one-on-one individual basis. But I think within the structures that we are involved in and the institutions we're involved in as well. Absolutely. Well, um, you know, we're here at I mean, 40-ish, 45 minutes. So, um, you know, I, I think that this was enjoyable for me to, you know, take some time to do some self-reflection, but to also become a little bit uncomfortable intentionally. Um, I definitely grew. I definitely was able to come to some different conclusions that I thought I was going to come to. And so, um, if you are like, if, if CRT makes you uncomfortable, do more research, look more into it, both sides. Um, because it, it's important that you have an understanding because it is a part of what's currently happening. Right. You can, you can read, uh, statements. You know, I, I think I mentioned Ibram X. Kendi, um, on the sort of, uh, non-racist, anti-racist CRT side, uh, you know, Derek Bell sort of being the, the, the founder yeah. of, of CRT, but you can also listen to what other folks are saying. I, I mentioned the Southern Baptist convention last week. You can see what some religious, uh, groups are saying about you know what their concerns are with CRT and sort of try to balance some of those together. Christianity Today has done some interesting uh, podcasts examining yeah. um, um, CRT from a Christian perspective. Um, a, a place where I I get news from um, a podcast called The Dispatch. They uh, a fellow called a fellow named David French, who's an attorney. Um, and just a really smart guy. That's a, a group of folks that do a great job walking through some of these. Um, I, th- there's there's a lot of resources out there. You can read. I mentioned I think last week about you know President Trump's uh, statement on 
on diversity training and then the Biden administration's uh, uh, rejection of that. There's been statements that have come out of the mm -hmm. Department of Defense lately on this. Although I'll, I'll be honest, when we started on this, this was like the hottest topic. But now, it but it, it, and, and every school board around the country was, was not every school board, but a lot of the school boards, especially in suburban areas, white suburban areas, uh, we're dealing with this uh, this issue, but yeah. guess what, Roman? Guess what happened between then and now? The Delta variant. And so now all the school boards are erupting with mask uh, debates. So instead of, <laughs> instead of debating CRT, people are debating masks. So that brings us, unless you, if you've had other resources, please throw them in, kick mm -hmm. them out. But I think that brings us to our topic for next week that we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which directly into the mass debate. We're going to mass versus no mass. It's not going to be that, but it's related. And it is the idea of science versus faith. Ooh. And I'm, I'm setting it up that way, not, you know, oppositionally, but we're, we're going to talk about that because there's a lot of that going on right now that I'm seeing out there. This is a hot thing is... You know, do do it. What place does science? What role does science play um, in in a quote unquote Christian worldview, yeah. or for for people who want to follow Jesus? Right. Where where, where does science um, well, play? I, and and I think that's going to be perfect and relevant because I, it's necessary. I mean, if, if it's necessary, it's relevant. But I mean, I think that it's something that you know kids ask all the time yes um, yes 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 and i mean we're getting back into school so they're going to be having more conversations about it right and so as a youth minister i talk about this pretty regularly so i'm pretty happy about it i'm, re I'm ready i'm excited good um i think it's gonna be good so yeah um, I'm, I'm really hyped up about this one I, I know i've been telling you for a couple weeks i wanted to do this one so yeah it's gonna be great so uh thank you guys so much for uh joining us this week uh really hope that you join us next week talking about faith and science uh have a blessed day.